high lottery pick, but not good enough to win any playoff games. Well, woe is us Detroit fans, but that's it here for us. Thank you very much for listening here at 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Nick Hornberg. Have a great week, everybody, and as always, Go Blue! And all his box, a box of chocolates Would I know To stay away What's said And all his box, a box of chocolates Would I eat them anyway Cause every time I have half a mind to leave you Babe, that means I have half a mind to stay Good evening, it's Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Good evening, it's Mike, and Pandora's Lunchbox is a show about food and culture and what's getting stuffed in our mouths, speaking of stuffing and all. Thanksgiving is coming up, and this is going to be a Thanksgiving-themed show a week earlier. Think of it, it's like Thanksgiving in November. So we're going to start off with a commentary from Laden Wainwright III. Well, later we'll get to some turkey facts about history, about food and all that stuff. But first, this message from Laden Wainwright III. Suddenly it's Christmas right after Halloween. Forget about Thanksgiving, it's just a buffet in between. There's lights and tinsel in the windows, they're stocking up the shelves. Santa's slaving at the North Pole in his sweatshop full of elves. There's got to be a build-up till the day that Christ was born. The halls are decked with pumpkins and ears of Indian corn. Dragging through the falling leaves in a one-horse open sleigh. Suddenly it's Christmas, seven weeks before the day. Suddenly it's Christmas, the longest holiday. When they say season's greetings, they mean just what they say. It's a season, it's a marathon, retail eternity. And it's not over till it's over and you throw away the tree. Outside it's positively balmy in the air, nary a nip. Suddenly it's Christmas, unbutton and unzip. Yes, they're working overtime, Santa's little runts. Christmas comes but once a year and goes on for two months. Christmas carols in December and November too. It's no wonder we're depressed when the whole thing is through. Finally it's January, let's sing old Lang Syne. But here comes another heartache shaped like a valentine. Suddenly it's Christmas. The longest holiday The season is upon us A pox that won't go away It's a season It's a marathon Retail eternity And it's not over Till it's over And you throw away the tree No, it's not over Till it's over And you throw away the tree It's still not over Till it's over And you throw away the tree Doesn't that put you in a lovely holiday mood? It does me. That is 
Laud Wainwright III, and suddenly it's Christmas. So it says, forget about Thanksgiving, it's just a buffet in between, and I love how he says buffet, it really does something to me. But let's not forget about Thanksgiving, because it's coming up in a week, and and we're going to play some songs about Thanksgiving food and read you stories about Thanksgiving things. But first of all, there's a new Michigan law, this from the Associated Press. Egg-laying hens in Michigan will have to be housed in cage-free systems before 2025 under a state law signed today. The law will also prohibit non-cage-free eggs from being sold in Michigan starting in 2025. The law was signed today by Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist. He says the measure will ensure that Michigan's standards for protecting animal welfare are among the strongest in the U.S., while ensuring egg producers can thrive. Under an old law, each hen was going to have to be confined in a one-square-foot space by April. The new law will require each hen to be housed in a cage-free system by the end of 2024. Michigan is the largest egg-producing state to adopt a cage-free requirement. Other states with cage-free laws include California, Washington, Massachusetts, and Oregon. So that's signed today. Meanwhile, this is urgent. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has announced it fully intends to take appropriate actions to ensure an adequate supply of sugar to the U.S. market. In recent weeks, prospects for U.S. sugar production have declined significantly due to adverse weather in both sugar beet and sugar cane regions. Sugar beets are grown a lot in the thumb, Michigan's thumb, as a matter of fact. In the November World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report, which I've just read in its entirety, the U.S. sugar production projection declined by 572,000 short tons raw value from the previous month, while ongoing weather concerns threaten further reductions. The USA will, the USDA will be addressing options in the near future in order to stabilize U.S. sugar supplies. USDA intends to make an announcement between November 10th and November 18th and December 10th as to quantity, type, and source of additional sugar needed to ensure an adequate supply for the domestic market, avoid forfeitures, and prevent or correct market disruptions. We need enough sugar. That's what we need. And you can't really have pumpkin pie without sugar, can you? Here are the five royales. I'm gonna give you the best news of my life Because I want you to 
That was good. That was Pumpkin Pie by the Five Royales. I got that CD, checked it out at the Ann Arbor District Library. Lucky to have that sort of stuff around town, huh? It's Pandora's Lunchbox. This is Mike. This is a show about food and culture. And that song was from the wonderful year 1959. It's a year that ends in nine, hence the name 1959. Coming up at 7, Arwolf and Face the Music will have another great edition of songs, all from years that end in 9. Wonderful, wonderful songs, mostly from the first half of the 20th century, from years that end in 9. This 7 o'clock evening coming up thing. Well, I got some turkey to talk to you about. We got to talk turkey. So, about the domestication of turkeys, Wikipedia says... Turkeys were first domesticated by the indigenous people of Mexico from at least 800 B.C. onwards. Much later, Spanish chroniclers described the multitude of food, both raw fruits and vegetables, as well as prepared dishes that were offered in the vast markets of Tenochtitlan, which I hope I've pronounced correctly. The chroniclers noted that there were tamales made of... Stand back, get this. Tamales made of turkey, okay iguana, chocolate, vegetables, fruit, and more. An iguana tamale. The ancient people of Mexico had not only domesticated the turkey, but had apparently developed sophisticated recipes, including these ingredients, many used to this day over hundreds of years. Can I get a mix-up? Can I get like a chocolate iguana vegetable tamale? Please, I'd like to order one of those. Before the 20th century, this is this is a thought here. Turkeys are, of course, a big deal in North America, in the U.S. especially, I think. Before the 20th century, the most common, common food for the North American end-of-year holidays was pork ribs. The animals were usually slaughtered in November, so pork ribs were rarely available outside of the Thanksgiving New Year season. Turkeys were once so abundant in the wild they were eaten throughout the year. So it used to be, let's get together for Thanksgiving and have pork ribs. I did not know that. But uh, here's a turkey song indirectly. This is Let's Turkey Trot by Little Eva, who made the locomotion famous. According to Wikipedia, the record features the group The Cookies on background vocals, and again, keeping the sugar supply going in the U.S. The song's title is a reference to the Turkey Trot dance step, a step that was only briefly popular 50 years before the song was released, and the song is played at a tempo much slower than the one used for the dance in its heyday. So is it really the turkey trot? Is this really a song about turkey? Is this really a show about food? Is this really Little Eva? That's not. Just kidding. Little Eva, where are you? Okay, here's Little Eva. This is the portion of the show where I realize that I have to decide where the song is. Now, Pandora's Lunchbox, I'm telling you, is a show about food and culture every Thursday evening at 6.30, if I haven't mentioned that already, at our website, Michigan Radio. Sorry. You know what? This is where I lose my mind completely. This Michigan radio station of yours is called WCBN. And at our website, wcbn.org, you can see... A list of the songs I've just played, songs that were played before. You can see our full list of shows that are on WCBN, including Face the Music at 7, and at 8, Shimmy Shimmy Coco Bop, and beyond. I think this is Liliva. 
That's Turkey Trot, Little Eva. So Wikipedia says the Turkey Trot was a dance made popular in the early 1900s. It was done to fast ragtime music, like Scott Joplin's Maple Leaf Rag, which is another food reference. It was driven largely by youth counterculture at the time. We don't talk much about the counterculture of the early 1900s and their wild, crazy Turkey Trot, those kids. But it says the Turkey Trot fad quickly fell out of favor as the fox trot, a much more conservative dance step based on the waltz, rose to popularity in 1914. I like a good conservative dance step, especially with an animal followed by a, you know, the word trot. I, I really, this is Pandora's Lunchbox. I'm Mike at 646, and what can you do about that, really? But here, here's some more information about Ben Franklin and and the national bird. This is another bit of turkey factoidalness. I do love the story that Ben Franklin wanted the turkey to be the national bird instead of the eagle, but it may only be a story, maybe. The Smithsonian Magazine says, according to the United States Diplomacy Center, it is a myth. The center points to the fact that Franklin's proposal for the presidential seal was devoid of birds completely. What is true is that Ben Franklin wrote a letter to his daughter, which included the following, so decide for yourself. Here we go. 
For my own part, I wish the bald eagle had not been chosen the representative of our country. He is a bird of bad moral character. He does not get his living honestly. You may have seen him perched on some dead tree near the river, where, too lazy to fish for himself, he watches the labor of the fishing hawk. And when that diligent bird has at length taken a fish and is bearing it to his nest, for the support of his mate and young ones, the bald eagle pursues him and takes it from him. <sighs> With all this injustice, he is never in good case, but like those among men who live by sharping and robbing, he's generally poor and often very lousy. Besides, he is a rank coward. The little king bird, not bigger than a sparrow, attacks him boldly and drives him out of the district. He is therefore by no means a proper emblem for the brave and honest Cincinnati of America, who have driven all the king birds from our country. King is capitalized in that sentence. I want like a monarch, in fact. Hmm. So Ben Franklin continues, I am on this account not displeased that the figure is not known as a bald eagle, fine double negative, but looks more like a turkey. For the truth, the turkey is in comparison a much more respectable bird, and withal a true original native of America. He is besides, though a little vain and silly, a bird of courage, and would not hesitate to attack a grenadier of the British guards, who should presume to invade his farmyard with a red coat on. Behold America, a little vain and silly, but full of courage. I made up that last part. And the danger and fear of turkeys is a real one if you've watched videos on YouTube about that. But the idea of uh, bald eagle as the national bird, according to Ben Franklin, I think that's, I think it's just, just jive.
Ohio players in Jive Turkey. This is Pandora's Lunchbox, and some advice if you're faced with a Jive Turkey. The town of Brookline, Massachusetts, recommends that citizens be aggressive toward the turkeys, take a step towards them, and not back down. Brookline officials have also recommended making noise like clanging pots or other objects together, popping open an umbrella, shouting and waving your arms, squirting them with a hose, allowing your leashed dog to bark at them, and forcefully fending them off with a broom. That's how you do it. Now, stuffing is something we need to get to before the end of the show. Names for stuffing include the following. This is from Wikipedia. Another word for stuffing is farce. F-A-R-C-E. That's circa 1390. Stuffing, imagine that, from 1538. Force meat, 1688. And relatively more recently in the United States, dressing, 1850. Force meat is derived from the French farcier to stuff, which sounds like farce to me. I don't know. It's a uniform mixture of lean meat with fat made by grinding, sieving, or pureeing the ingredients. Sounds a little different from the bread stuffing we often think of. It's sometimes claimed that an, that ancient Roman and medieval cooks stuffed animals with other animals. An anonymous Andalusian cook from the cookbook from the 13th century includes a recipe for a ram stuffed with small birds. Ran Birkin? How do you, how do you pronounce that? British celebrity chef Hugh Farnley Whittingstall has championed the ten-bird roast he calls it one of the most spectacular and delicious roasts you can lay before your loved ones at Yuletide. But can they eat it? A large turkey is stuffed with a goose, a duck, a mallard, a guinea fowl, a chicken, pheasant, partridge, pigeon, and woodcock. All in one bird. Spectacular it is. And here's something, you know, I didn't find any songs about cranberry sauce, but I really couldn't do this show without... A Beatles reference to cranberry sauce. As you all know, Paul died. Paul McCartney died in the 1960s and was replaced by a double. And the whole Paul is dead rumor. Uh, is it a hoax? Is it real? Am I real? Is this really the turkey trot? I don't know. Nonetheless, at the end of Strawberry Fields Forever, John Lennon is allegedly heard to say, I buried Paul. When in fact, I have an outtake here from Strawberry Fields Forever, where you can hear more audibly him saying, Cranberry Sauce. <laughs> Truly. Goes like this. Ready? Let's just hear some of that. Right. So there it is. Cranberry Paul. No, cranberry sauce. I should let you know before we go that this 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 one's going to be a little unsettling, though. The inventor of the famed sour toe cocktail has died. This from the BBC. Captain Dick Stevenson was the man behind the famed sourdough cocktail, served at a hotel bar in Canada's Yukon Territory since the 1970s. He has died at the age of 89. Visitors to the downtown hotel in Dawson City are able to order any alcoholic cocktail served with a mummified human toe floating in it. Nearly 100,000 people have from all over the world have tasted it. The key rule 
You can drink it fast, you can drink it slow, but your lips have got to touch the toe. The tradition began in 1973 when Mr. Stevenson, then a Yukon Riverboat captain, and some friends discovered a preserved toe in an abandoned cabin. They came up with the idea of the Sour Toe Cocktail and the rules around becoming a member of the exclusive club of those who have downed the concoction, notably that one's lips, lips must come in contact with the toe. Since the inception, the club has acquired, by donation, over 10 toes. We're going to move on from that because I can't deal with it anymore. This has been Pandora's Lunchbox. I've been Mike. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being you. Thank you for tuning in to Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN, WCBN FM Ann Arbor, and WCBN.org. We talked earlier of the sugar shortage that could not be because the USDA will make sure the USDA will make sure that doesn't happen. Let's make sure we have our quota of sugar songs and sugar in this show. Here now is My Sugar Sugar by the aforementioned Five Royales. It goes like this. You're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Keep on listening and never, ever stop doing that. Okay?
Hey, that'll work. Thanks, Mike. That was splendid. It's 7 o'clock. We've got WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is R. Wolf, R. Wolf, and it's time for Face the Music. We've been proving to you that 1929 was one hell of a year for recorded music, as was 1939 and 1949. Those are the three years that are mainly in focus during this hour of music. We've got other nines on the way as we coast to the end of the year 2019, but we're going to open with uh, some music from 1939, a couple of piano solos. We're going to introduce you to the piano mysteries of Albert Ammons and Jimmy Yancey, and then you'll be able to tell when it shifts down into 1929 because Cow Cow Davenport is going to come in here and chase everybody around the room a couple dozen times. But let's start out in a kind of a relaxed manner. This is the Untitled Ammons Original, recorded on, um, when was it, January 6th, 1939, the first recording session of Blue Note Records ever. This is how they inaugurated the label. And they did it by getting Mead Lux Lewis and Albert Ammons to record solos and duets together. And these were released on big 12-inch 78 RPM records. That meant that you could fit an entire whopping four minutes of music on one side, which was a big deal in 1939. 